You're listening to Criterion Channel Surfing, a podcast dedicated to the films of the Criterion Collection streaming video service, the Criterion Channel. I'm your host, Josh Hornbeck. Martin Kessler of FlixWise and FlixWise Canada joins me today to talk about Czech cinema on the Criterion Channel. But first, I'll also check in with Andrew Pierce of The Curb to talk about entry points to the Australian New Wave. Stay with us as we start surfing the Criterion Channel. If you enjoy Criterion Channel surfing, check out videos by Daisuke Beppu. In this series of warm and inviting videos, Daisuke Beppu shares his thoughts and reflections on the Criterion Collection, home media, and the films he loves. Find his videos on YouTube and search for Daisuke Beppu. Criterion Cast, a podcast network and website for fans of quality theatrical and home video releases. Find out more at CriterionCast.com. I'm here with Andrew Pierce, founder of the Australian film site The Curb and frequent contributor to many of the Criterion Facebook groups. Andrew, I just want to thank you so much for crossing the sea to talk with me today. Uh, the wonders of technology make it so that we get to uh, have this conversation. Uh, I'm really excited to chat with you about entry points into the Australian new wave since that bundle premiered this uh, month. So this is going to be fun. Yeah, it's going to be fantastic. Thank you so much, Josh, for, for having me uh, on the show and uh, being able to talk about Australian film. I'm, I'm quite passionate about it. Uh, as listeners will hear, I'm obviously Australian. Uh, so it means a lot to have a channel like the Criterion channel, being able to push Australian film and support Australian film and, and highlight uh, the great, work that has been done in this country so yeah thank you for having me on to talk about it It means a lot well that's great that's i'm i'm really thrilled to, to be able to do this well before we dive into this uh you know as this is your your first appearance on the show i just want to talk really briefly about the curb and what it is you do on your site and uh what it is that uh you are working on there and maybe some of the things that are coming up this month for you on your site. So uh, this month is a focus on Australian film and the website, The Curb, was established as pretty much being a website that is focusing on Australian film all year round. But for the month of August, we do dedicate this month to being pretty much highlighting some of the hidden classics in Australian cinema and some of the films that people ought to check out. I recently rewatched uh, Andrew Dominic's first film, Chopper, mm. which is celebrating its 20th anniversary and got to see how much of a masterpiece that particular film was. And, and revisiting that has led to a lot of great discussions with people about lost classics in a lot of ways, because that film is out of print. It's not available anywhere in Australia, which is uh, a bit of a crime. That's what I intend to do with The Curb, is highlight these films that have been kind of uh, pushed aside and and forgotten and relegated to a bit of history in a way and just try and get a people interested in rediscovering Australian film history because within Australia, um, unfortunately, Australian films are kind of... Australians don't like Australian films. Is mm. That's the, the, the light way of putting it. We <laughs> tend to go, we're not going to watch that and refuse to watch it because it's Australian. And there's no pride in Australian cinema, and I hope to try and instill a bit of pride uh, with people through the website. 
That's really cool. That's really great. I love the work you're doing there. I think it's really exciting. And uh, thank you. Yeah, I'm I'm excited to continue to dive into uh, the site. I mean, you're doing some great stuff there. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, I've got a. There's a lot of other writers on the site as well, and we all have a bit of a passion for Australian cinema. And and uh, through it, I've met a few other people who we've got some projects that uh, we haven't announced yet, but we've got some projects that we're working on that are going to help try and amplify Australian cinema in in certain ways and highlight the great work that people are doing uh, right now and in the past as well. Because uh, while we are a big country, I think that people forget that we make great films. And certainly highlighting that is really important. And and that's why it's, again, it's so great that Criterion Channel has highlighted so many great Australian films with this uh, this lineup, which is really important, I think. Uh, it makes me feel a little bit proud. <laughs> <It's> <laughs> that's nice. great. Yeah. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah. Well, and, and, you know, the, the reason I reached out to you to, to guest, uh, on this, this little segment here is you posted in one of the Facebook groups about this bundle. I, this was mm. when the announcement for this month came up, one of the big highlights of the month is this bundle on the Australian new wave. And you gave a post about some highlights from it and really, we're helping to guide some some of us through it, and I just thought this was really uh, exceptional. And mm. you know, as as we get these bundles and this wealth of content that comes to the channel every month, it can be really overwhelming. And with twenty, you know, some films that have come to the channel in this, it can it can feel a little overwhelming. And yeah. uh, I just uh, I thought it would be really great to have someone come on to to really talk about it and. Uh, maybe talk about the Australian New Wave a bit and uh, give some background information because it's one of those movements that's not talked about a whole lot. And uh, I just love to hear some of your thoughts about it. Yeah. So I think, I mean, one of the main parts of the Australian New Wave is the fact that people tend to forget that Australian cinema for about 20 years after World War II, we didn't have Australian cinema. Essentially, there were a couple of films that were made within Australia. The Sundowners is probably one of the more uh, prominent ones that happened around the 1950s. Um, but within Australia, there really wasn't much. And, you know, you can look at something like They're a Weird Mob, which is uh, Powell's film, who, you know, coming to Australia after being mm-hmm. uh, booted here after the reception of um, Peeping Tom. And that's a really wonderful film. It's a brilliant film. And he made a couple of films here in Australia. But essentially, we were kind of this country where people just kind of were like, eh, we'll just go there because it's cheap to make films. And on the same hand, in the nineteen late 1960s, early 1970s, uh, we had a government who was able to kind of go, gosh, we don't have a film industry here. Let's actually start to invest some money in Australian cinema. And that's where a lot of great Australian filmmakers came from. You have you people mm. like Gillian Armstrong who really benefited from this movement of actually investing money in Australian cinema. And I think that people tend to forget that in Australia, a lot of our cinema comes from the backing of government funding. We don't mm. have a you know film studio system or anything like that. We have a system which is set up where people go to the government and say, I have this idea for a film, can I have some money? And they go, yep, here's a million dollars. And mm. that's how films are made here. But in the, in the 1970s and 1980s, the new wave period was quite a long period of time. It covered up until basically 1989, 1990, 
where a lot of these great filmmakers were making a lot of brilliant stuff. And you have some of the major film, filmmakers and directors coming from that period. Uh, Dr. George Miller, Peter Weir, Bruce Beresford, uh, Fred Skepsi, for example. These are all landmark directors who uh, certainly in America made some pretty monumental films. I know that Bruce Beresford kind of gets a bit of a, you know, gets laughed at a little bit <laughs> for a certain yeah. film that he made. But he made some great Australian films. Yeah. And in the bundle here, the, we get to see them. So uh, there was a lot of really uh, roughneck, cheap films that were made that were maybe not the safest films. Uh, certainly Mad Max is a, a great example. There was a lot of films in that kind of uh, genre of the really rough and, and, and brutal kind of uh, stunt-heavy films that, that got a lot of people injured, but they were cheap and they certainly got people's attention on Australian cinema. And so that's kind of what the vibe of the Australian New Wave was, this blend of hardcore genre stuff as well as drama fare that, that you know, your picnic hanging rock kind of film. It's a mishmash of everything, but that's what Australian cinema is. It's, it's purely ochre and purely Australian. Yeah. Well, and, and I do love the fact that, you know, you have Peter Weir, in you know 1974 doing the cars that ate paris which is that rough and tumble odd pseudo horror thriller film but then you reference picnic at hanging rock which is you know right after that mm. and in and, and you have that the same director making you know what feel like two diametrically opposed films and uh, it's really fascinating that you've got this this continuum that mm. the that it seems like this new wave is embracing all of those things and that's really interesting to know this is a, a movement that i didn't really know much about and so for me this is a bundle that i'm super excited to dive into you know as i'm looking through the titles i've seen a, quite a few of them but there's a lot that i haven't and i just feel like there's so much here that uh, is exciting and, and I think certainly with some of those films, like, as you were saying, you know, mentioning Peter Weir, for example, going from that kind of, that, that really genre-heavy film of The Cars at 8 Paris and then moving forward, you know, ending up with something like Gallipoli, which is, it's a masterpiece in my eyes. I, I think mm. that is a really powerful film. And if people are going to be watching Gallipoli, they need to be watching Break Morant alongside it. We made, uh, you know, Break Morant is, is part of the Criterion Collection and it's a masterpiece in a lot of ways. But it's a film, that film in particular is a film that shaped my view of war and soldiers and what it means to be a soldier in a lot of ways. I watched it maybe a little bit too young. My grandmother showed it to me when I was like eight or nine years old mm -hmm. and it stuck with me ever since. But these are really, really powerful films about Australia's role in war because a lot of the time for Australians we're just kind of we're shipped off as part and parcel of you know Europe and 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 the English and going and fighting alongside them but we're still a distinctly different country and distinctly different group of people but we're just kind of bundled in with a lot of different places and that's what Australian cinema is like in a way it's kind of bundled mm. in with a lot of different things but it's uniquely influential in a lot of ways. I, I rewatched the documentary, Not Quite Hollywood, which is a film which I highly recommend any, anybody goes and watches. If they like what they see here, 
I think if there's a small criticism about the slice of films that are being shown in this particular new wave bundle is that it's missing a lot more of the the hardcore genre action films. For example, there's no Brian Trenchard Smith here and Brian Trenchard Smith is like one of the pinnacle directors of the new wave movement. He did one of the best Australian films ever made called The Man from Hong Kong. It stars George Lazenby. It is a brilliant, brilliant blend of kung fu movies and action mm. and stuff like that. It's nuts. It's really, <laughs> really brilliant. But then he also went and directed BMX Bandits as well. You know, he's he's done a lot of really great genre stuff. And unfortunately, that's not in there. But then also in the 70s, there are a lot of sex comedies as well. Like they really wouldn't stand up well today. But yeah. They were really, really uh, influential and important for that era and made the New Wave movement what it is. And you have people like Bruce Berriford directing The Adventures of Barry McKenzie, which is this, you know, almost like an an American Pie-esque Australian film. It's got vomit. It's got lots of nudity in it. There's a lot of homophobia and racism and stuff. It's, It's not a positive film but it is a reflection of what Australia was like at the time. And it's a Mm. reflection of what Australia is. And I think that that's really important to see, you know, the, the journey of what's going on there, but uh, not quite Hollywood is a great documentary that covers all of those films that aren't in this, this bundle here. Uh, But yeah, it's a lot of great stuff here. It's beautiful, beautiful films that I think that people really need to get into. That's really cool. What out of this bundle do you think would be like a really good entry point? If someone isn't going to be able to watch all of the films here, what are maybe a handful that that people should really start with? I think specifically because there's there's a few that have been, you know, uh, notorious films that Mad Max, My Brilliant Career and Walkabout and stuff like that. They're notoriously great films. But yeah. I think the kind of, I'll I'll say five are really, really good. Sunday Too Far Away is not missable. You must see that. It's Mm. a brilliant, brilliant working class drama. Uh, It was also the first film that won the Best Picture at the AFI Awards, now called the Actor Awards, which is essentially Australia's Oscars. And that's a really great film. Don's Party is also really good. It is a film that is about an election campaign uh, and it's a night of people getting together and all these issues that that kind of reach a bubbling point on an election night, people from the right and people from the left arguing and everything. Really, really brilliant film. And it's also quite important as well because it's one of the few films that actually has a prime minister in it as themselves, you know, and it's really fantastic. Gillian Armstrong's Starstruck is not possible to watch in Australia. Uh, It's never gotten a release in Australia. It's insane. Like it had a release back when it started, but it's not had a DVD release or a streaming release. Mm. Uh, that's a bit of a rare film to watch. So I would highlight that one. Also, Puberty Blues by Bruce Beresford, which is kind of a teen comedy in a way, coming of age drama. But mm-hmm. I think for people who are familiar with Beresford's work, you'd be surprised to see this kind of film from him. And also on top of that, there is going to be some really, really brilliant Australian dialogue and sayings that would just be unfamiliar to some people and Hmm. you really can't not put it into your vernacular after watching (laughs) this film. (laughs) And then finally, Storm Boy, which Mm. is another excellent film. Uh, It's a kid's film, but it's a dark kid's film. Like you need to, if you are going to be watching this particular one with your kids, expect tears and maybe about 10 years of age. We grew up watching it as a kid, six, seven years of age. And 
I think that's why Australia is the way it is. Um, <laughs> yeah, so they're kind of the films that I would recommend. But Stormboy is really beautiful too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, those are those are great recommendations too, and I I like that. Those are the ones that are they're off the beaten path too, right? Yeah. They're not ones that most people would necessarily gravitate towards right away because you know these are ones that in my limited knowledge of the the australian films those are ones that i hadn't really heard of much mm-hmm. and uh that to me is uh makes it even more exciting because i always love it when criterion puts out stuff that i just don't know anything about that that's always exciting Basically, throw a stone and you're going to get a great film out of this bunch. But <laughs> for, for listeners and people who are going to be watching stuff from this one, I would just probably erase the ones that are easily available, readily available, because, yeah. you know, Mad Max is easy to find, Walkabout's easy to find, um, Long Weekend's easy to find. Watch the ones that are a little bit offbeat. Um, you are going to appreciate them a little bit more. And uh, I guess, I mean, I'm used to it because I'm Australian, but... I think it goes without saying that you probably should watch them with subtitles too, because (laughs) they're a little bit, uh, you know, Australian accent is a little bit hard for people to understand at times. And so these are really, really hardcore Ocker films and they, they have a, what we call the term is strine S T R I N E, which is kind of our, the way that we sound and, people listening to it it's a bit hard but when you read and understand what we're actually saying it's like oh okay makes sense now so yeah Yeah. watch these with subtitles that's my suggestion (laughs) that's good that's good that's good uh good advice yes yeah and i will say that both the cars that ate paris and the plumber are two films that are part of the digital streaming library and uh so those are permanent parts of the collection that have been around since the Hulu days. So those are ones that uh, will be there for a while. Those are ones that you might be able to wait on. Nice. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. And they're yeah. both really good films. Yeah. I, I also, I mean, I already mentioned five of them, but I, I do also want to <laughs> mention as well, the chant of Jimmy Blacksmith, which is on there. Mm. It recently got a re-release on Blu-ray a year or two ago here in Australia, but I don't know what the availability is like in America. But if there's one thing, like there's not, a huge amount of indigenous uh, stories in this particular bundle. There's Walkabout and Chant of Jimmy Blacksmith, and that's really about it. But I do highly recommend watching Chant of Jimmy Blacksmith. Mm. I wrote a review on it a long time ago, and I spoke to Fred Skepsia very briefly about it uh, as well. And one of the things which I stated in the review was that it is the most devastating aspect about this film is that it's still relevant Mm. and he had said, yeah, that's that's the thing. I When I made the film, I hoped that, you know, it would no longer be relevant in 10 years' time, but 20, 30 years on, it's still relevant, and that is devastating. Um, yeah. But, yeah, it's a really powerful film. Yeah, that's one that as I've been scrolling through the the bundle, it has drawn my eye a bit. So, yeah, that's one that I'll definitely be checking out before it leaves. Yeah, yeah. that's great. Yeah. You know, you talked a little bit about some of the missing things that, uh, from the bundle. Are there any other titles that you would uh, recommend people check out if they're seeing things here that they really like and they want to explore Australian cinema a little bit more? I mean, there's a lot of great stuff that, unfortunately, just because it never really made an impact on uh, society as a whole or anything like that or entered the, the critical or cultural vernacular, 
in the way that Mad Max or Picnic Hanging Rock did. There's a lot that kind of just fell by the wayside, which is really, really sad. But I think in Australia, at least, there is a production company, there's a DVD Blu-ray production company called Umbrella Entertainment, which I think Mm. that some listeners might be familiar with. They do do a really great job of pushing out uh, some hidden lost films on DVD and Blu-ray. They're currently, in the next month or so, I think, uh, they'll be pushing out a new version and a new scan of The Last Wave, which is going to be great. Very much looking forward to seeing that. But in regards to what films I think that people should seek out, I mean, there's so many. There's so many Hmm. great stuff. There's a whole bunch of really great horror films that kind of just were hidden and lost in that period. Next of Kin is really good. It's really impressive film. I know that Tim Lego is a big fan of that particular film. Mm. Long Weekend is, again, that's part of the bundle, but I think that's a really great film, and it's a very influential film on American filmmakers. And a lot of these uh, genre action films from that particular era as well, really influential on uh, Tarantino, who Mm. in that documentary I mentioned before, Not Quite Hollywood, bangs on about it quite a lot. But I think for me, like there's a few films that I would kind of like to highlight in the sense that they've either fallen out of the the critical discussion and things like that, or are just a little bit forgotten. And again, that was the work of Brian Trenchard Smith. Man from Hong Kong is a brilliant film. I think that really needs to be revisited quite a bit. There's a director whose work just kind of didn't really get the attention that he, he should have done. Tim Burstall is somebody whose work just kind of fell by the wayside a little bit and isn't mm-hmm. in the critical discussion in the way that it should be. And I think a film like Stork, which which features a brilliant Bruce Spence performance and an early uh, Jackie Weaver performance as well, that should have been in the collection. It's a bit, it's just a sex comedy, but it's a beautiful sex comedy and it's it's a wonderfully presented film. I've always, I've watched it multiple times and I find it a delight to watch uh, whenever I do. And another film which is really hard to find, but if you do find it and you like kind of really grimy, low-budget films, there is a film that's called Pure Shit, which mm. was out in the 70s, and it's it's a filthy drug film, but is one of the brilliant lo-fi, low-budget films. It's a nasty kind of film, but it is kind of in the vein of something like Sid and Nancy or even Nil by Mouth as well, that mm. kind of film. It's yeah. really, uh, yeah, you you need to have two or three showers after watching that film, but <laughs> it's a brilliant film, yeah. So they're, they're kind of the few that, that I have off the top of my head that, that really stick out that should be in cultural discussion more, but there are so many. I mean, we had hundreds of films during that period, and a lot of them, again, were just genre films, action films or horror films that kind of got pushed by the wayside, and they really did have a major impact on people overseas because they would head out into like the grindhouse circuit or late night films and be doubles with other films that people were familiar with. And they became really influential and really important. And I think it's easy to highlight the dramas and the work of, you know, Skepsi, Beresford, Armstrong, Philip Noyce, Weir, all those great directors because of what they eventually went on to do. Mm-hmm. And it's great to see what they've already done. But Basically, you throw a stone in there and you're going to find something from somebody who unfortunately didn't have the same career, didn't have the same success as those directors did. And that's what you're going to find in the new wave, the Australian new wave era. And again, in Australian cinema as a whole. But yeah, there's a lot of great stuff in there that I think that regardless of what you watch, you'll find something interesting uh, because 
you always have a director who is batting for the fences, who is trying to just do as hard as they can and as best as they can on the lowest budget they can. And sometimes you get a really bad film and sometimes you get a masterpiece. And that's the joy of watching these kinds of films because it's discovering something new, I think, is the main thing, for me at least. That's really yeah. great. It's It sounds like in some ways these these filmmakers were putting everything they had into each oh, and yeah. every film. And there's this this joy I think you get when you have filmmakers who don't know if they're going to get a chance to work again. And they are just putting their all into everything they're doing. And yeah, that sounds, that sounds exciting. And mm. the umbrella label, I'll have to include a link to that in the show notes so that anyone who's region free can seek out some Australian cinema that they might not be able to get a hold of here stateside, because I think that's, that's a really it's a really great resource. And I will just, while the show is mainly focused on streaming media, I, I do think that, you know, there is this real benefit to having a region free player so that you can have access to some of these films that you'd oh, yeah. never be able to, to get otherwise. Well, one of the major benefits of umbrella is that they recognize that a lot of their audience and buyers come from overseas. So even if the disc says that it's region B, it is most of the time, about 95% of the time, actually a region-free disc. Yeah. Um, they just put that on there. I, I have a US Blu-ray player that I have tested out, the ones that are marked as region B, mm-hmm. and it works perfectly fine. Uh, they just don't put the region branding on there, mostly because people do buy them from overseas, and yeah. they don't expect people to have a region-free player. So yeah. if, if you're ever not sure, uh, they are very communicative. You can just send them a message on Facebook and find out, and they should be able to let you know. And if not, you can always drop me a line and I'll, I'll check the disc. I get review copies all the time. So <laughs> that's great. That's yeah. great. That's awesome. Well, Andrew, thank you so much. This was really fantastic. I feel like I learned a lot and uh, I feel like we've given our listeners some really great insights into the Australian new wave. And I think this is going to be a great, a great guide for people who are just going to be diving into this. Yeah, well, thank you so much as well for allowing me to talk about it. Um, it is kind of my core passion in life. That's <laughs> Australian great. cinema. That's fantastic. You get get me started, and and you can't shut me up. But I I really appreciate having the chance to be able to um, uh, push Australian cinema a little bit more because I do hope that people recognise that we do make some really great films here. It is easy to get lost in the shuffle of everything because. Uh, European cinema is great and Asian cinema is fantastic, but unfortunately Australian cinema kind of gets lost in the shuffle of American cinema and English cinema. And so it just kind of dissipates and it doesn't always get the um, broad reach that it really should do. And so getting a chance to be able to say, hey, we actually make good stuff (laughs) uh, is, is good. So thank you. Yeah, thank you a lot. It means a lot. Yeah, That's great. That's great. Well, where can people find you online if they want to reach out to you? The best place to find me is to head over to the website, uh, which is thecurb.com.au, and that's C-U-R-B. Uh, the Australian spelling is K-E-R-B, but that doesn't look very nice. So it's, yeah, thecurb.com.au. <laughs> and you can follow me on um, Facebook and on Twitter, uh, both at The Curb. And, yeah, find us there. And, and if you have any questions or, you know, you watch, if you manage to get through all of the films that are in this particular bundle and you need even more suggestions or anything like that, hit me up. Email address is contact at thecurb.com.au. Best way of getting in touch with me and, and 
having a chat and going from there. I, as I've just said, I will talk about Australian film until the cows go come home. So yeah, no problems awesome. there at all. <laughs> That's great. Thank you so much. This was great. Awesome. Thank you. Well, we'll be right back with more Criterion Channel Surfing as Martin Kessler and I discuss Czech cinema and the Criterion Collection's permanent digital library. Stay with us. If you enjoy Criterion Channel Surfing, check out The Complete Podcast, hosted by Matthew Gasteyer and Travis Trudell, covering the filmographies of the world's most renowned directors one season at a time. The Complete is dedicated to taking chronological journeys through the most rewarding filmographies in cinema. Each season covers one director, with each episode focusing on one feature film from their catalog. The first season was dedicated to Stanley Kubrick, while the second season covered Elaine May. The current third season is focused on Krzysztof Kozlowski, the Polish director most famous for the Decalogue and the Three Colors trilogy. Find out more at thecompletepod.blueberry.net. Welcome back to Criterion Channel Surfing. I'm here with Martin Kessler, and we're getting ready to dive into the back catalog of Criterion's permanent streaming-only digital library. Because the channel releases so much incredible content each month, it's really easy to overlook these corners of their permanent library. So here on the podcast, we try to pay special attention to these titles and give you a few films to check out that you may have missed. As I was planning out the first few months of shows for the podcast, one of the themes that came up was Czech cinema. Criterion made a deal to help restore and release and uh, curate some Czech cinema. Uh, and they have a really wide range of uh, films. And uh, because I know that, Martin, you have a, a fondness uh, for Czech cinema and uh, love talking about it, I just thought, who better to bring on to talk about this? So thanks for joining me for this. Well, thank you for having me on. Well, if you'd like to follow along at home, Michael Hutchins has compiled a list of Criterion's streaming-only titles. You can find a link to that in our show notes. So, Martin, why don't we talk just a little bit about Czech cinema in general and maybe a little bit about your history with Czech cinema and your uh, kind of uh, enthusiasm for it. Sure. I, Czech cinema, of course, it, it covers a huge period of time and quite a diverse array of films, but I think probably most people think of the Czech New Wave, which was the period in the 1960s when you had uh, very bold filmmakers produce some of the best work, I think, in all of cinema. And of course, I'm, I'm biased. I, I am Czech. I, <laughs> I, I've lived in Canada for most of my life, but um, you know, some of these films I've, I've had recommended to me by my parents and I think, like, especially my father watched a lot of movies in the 1960s when these mm. were coming out. So yeah, I was introduced to some of these films early on. Some are actually pretty new to me. I think maybe we might even talk about one that uh, was sort of a recent recent discovery for me. But, uh, you know, I, I have a deep interest and appreciation for a lot of these films. I guess it's it's my heritage a little bit. But yeah, that, that's, uh, that's how I feel about it, yeah. Oh, that's neat. As I was first kind of discovering Czech cinema, I was really blown away. I think you know, Fireman's Ball was the first that I saw. I think you know Criterion had their release of it, and I think I saw it because of it was on Roger Ebert's Great Films list uh, back mm -hmm. in the day, and I was 
just kind of shocked by how funny it was and how irreverent it was. Sure. And, uh, you know, I think I had thought of films from Eastern Europe as being so dour and serious. And and as I've explored Czech cinema, it's just been really interesting to see uh, just such a variety of experiences and, and how uh, just how experimental Czech cinema was during this time, uh, especially, you know, so much of what Criterion has released is part of that Czech new wave. And I mean, those filmmakers were doing so many incredible things at the time. Absolutely. I, I think like you just see the creativity. And then, of course, all of that kind of got smooshed when the Soviet army rolled in. <laughs> you had uh, yeah. uh, tanks in the streets. And uh, there were still noteworthy films that came after that. But, the, you know, 1968, that's usually when most people kind of pinpoint as the end of the Czech New Wave. And there was a couple stragglers that were sort of shot before and released after. And, you know, a couple of things kind of going up to 1970 that still get lumped in with the Czech New Wave. But really, you're talking about... Uh, you know, maybe early 60s to 1968. It's, it's not a long period of time, but yeah. a lot of the filmmakers, I, I think we're probably going to mention some of them. Uh, some like Milos Horman went on to Hollywood. Uh, some, you know, produced later work that's uh, important and interesting. But uh, I, I think just that environment where you see these filmmakers kind of playing off each other and sometimes collaborating and, you know, in films like Pearls of the Deep, it's, it's such a, you get a sense that there was a creative community and yeah. um, just a, vibrant artistic energy going on for that period yeah 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 it's uh it's it's really mesmerizing really really neat well why don't we uh start digging into the films uh martin what's the first film that you want to talk about today sure i almost mentioned fireman's ball because i I always figured that's a good introduction for people but i kind of had two that were sort of colorful and humorous and it it seemed like uh maybe too similar so instead i'm going to mention capricious summer by yoshi menzel Mm. and it's kind of a film about nothing in some ways you know there's a little <laughs> bit of love and a little bit of a magic show and it's set in the pre-world war ii period it's a color film yoshi menzel plays one of the characters in the film he's probably better known for closely watched trains sharply watched trains but um summers may be my favorite of his just it's such a laid-back kind of funny movie you have old guys chasing girls hrushinsky who's uh, also in the cremator plays I guess the lead role, but it's it's a little bit of a comedy, a little bit of a just film about capriciousness in the summertime, uh, mm. and I don't know. I, I could use some of that because this this summer has been the very very opposite <laughs> of that kind of lockdown yes. and not much going on. So I, I just completely adore this film. This is one. I guess my father went to see it with his grandfather, and it was like the first film that his grandfather had seen in like thirty years. That and uh, Winnetou. And uh, he was scandalized by Horzynski showing his ass in the movie. But <laughs> I, I think it's a really great film. That's really fun. I, uh, this is one that I have not had a chance to see yet. Uh, this is, it's one that just sounds absolutely delightful and uh, really charming and uh, really joyous. Uh, absolutely. I think like it's, it's similar to Fireman's Ball, maybe in terms of, maybe not exactly the sensitive tone, but like it, it has like sort of similar colorful kind of, not really about anything in particular, but you could definitely draw themes out of it, vibe going on. And one thing I really love about Capricious Summer is the use of language, which is one of those things that's kind of impossible to translate, but a lot of it's done like uh, like in verse or like poetry. It's, it's got a really beautiful use of language in it. Hmm. I mean, Fireman's Ball, that, that's another one where it always kind of surprises me because there's like wordplay in it, or not exactly wordplay, but like playing on 
you know, fireman versus fire person and <laughs> some of these phrases that like it, it doesn't really translate, but people still find it funny. So I think that's really cool. Yeah. Yeah. That's really fun. That's really fun. Something that I have found in a lot of these these films that I have seen, uh, I think of like All My Good Countrymen mm-hmm. and a few of these ones that are about kind of small town life is there's this this real, even in some of the darker ones, there is still the this this undertone of there's this communal sense of joy and connection and and even even if they're bumbling even if they're running into all of the the trappings of bureaucracy and people trying to get ahead of each other there's still something really kind of lovely and playful in the way they're exploring all of the bumblings i think maybe it's it's very checked to not take anything too too seriously even yeah serious stuff you know well, the first film that I'm going to talk about uh, is maybe on the other end of the spectrum there. <laughs> That's perfect, yeah. <laughs> uh, and it actually is, uh, I think, at the other end of the um, of the time frame, too. Uh, the Ear by Karl Kakiina. It's from 1970, but it was uh, suppressed and uh, was, was banned. And I believe it was eventually uh, released the late 80s and it is a uh you know we talked a little bit about marriage stories in our uh uh, discussion of uh, new and expiring titles and this is a marriage story by way of uh surveillance it's kind of a virginia wolf story it's it's similar yeah yeah i i i have a very uh my first watch of it, uh, I thought, wow, this is a little like Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf, but under a authoritarian government regime. It's got something similar going on with it, the alcohol use. Yes. And the, it's sort of this strange marriage, but it's also with a background of political terror <laughs> yes. working with it. Yeah. And it is it is absolutely riveting. As I rewatched it this week, I was just absolutely uh, enthralled by how well Kagina just ratchets the tension through some really simple techniques and how he keeps you on the edge of your seat this entire time. And you don't know, you know, the, the characters at the beginning of the film don't really know that there's anything, anything wrongs going on, but doors are open when they shouldn't be open. And we, we discover that this couple, as they've come home from a party, uh, they've lost their keys and we don't know where their keys are. And as they come into their house, the power's out, but the power's on everywhere else on their block. And it's this really very, um, eerie sense of being watched as a car is pulled up down the street and they're trying to find the right rooms where they can speak freely because the ear is always listening and through it all we see the marriage the cracks and fissures of the marriage throughout and we see them kind of falling apart as well the the film is taking place as there's been a purge and our our lead character his colleagues have been disappeared and he's worried that he might be next and trying to communicate that to his wife it's it's riveting it's really thrilling i love the contrast especially in the early scenes between the scenes of the party where we you get this kind of searing almost oversaturated light with the darkness of the home the scenes of the party have this uh, very disorienting uh, almost the the use of the the angles and the use of almost first person 
camera work keep you on edge the entire time. It's a it's a really stunning film that uh, uh, just on second viewing just got better and better every time I I've seen it now. Oh, for sure. That, that one for me was sort of a recent discovery just in the past couple of years, but that's a film I really respect and admire and am fascinated by. And I don't, do you know um, Second Run, the UK? Yes. Okay, yes. They, if people want to hear my thoughts in detail on that film, I, I'm one of the people on the audio commentary on the Blu-ray, which is region-free for it. So if folks want to hear me talk at length about the ear and, you know, they don't mind buying it on physical media that's one thing they could check out that's awesome that's awesome i'll put a link in the show notes to that <laughs> sure. because that's i actually remember now that you, you you recorded a commentary for that so yeah that's fantastic no this is a this is i think a special film that mm-hmm. i love is it, that it's getting more visibility now oh, for sure what's your second film to talk about I also picked something sort of dark and gloomy i went with uh, marketa <laughs> lazarova from 1966 by Franti and it's I remember that there was like the old facets DVD for Valley of the Bees they called Vlachel like Czech cinema's formalist wrecking ball or something like that which was a quote I always really liked and it's a medieval epic sort of about the clash between paganism and Christianity in uh, in medieval Bohemia and it's maybe the only film that can really kind of go blow for blow with Andre Rublev in terms of giving you that taste for the medieval I think maybe Hard to Be a God kind of fits into that category too, but that's mm. a different sort of thing because that's science fiction. And if you like Andrei Rublev, I feel like this is maybe the only other film that can really kind of deliver <laughs> if you're looking for something sort of similarly medieval. Some of my favorite costume design in any film, some of my favorite uh, photography in any film, like all these peculiar compositions are really interesting. I saw it when I was a kid. I don't know if I even ever finished it because there's one scene where... Uh, Mr. Lazarov gets nailed to a door, which I think traumatized me a little bit. But, you know, it's become one of my favorite films in the years since. And the restoration is stunning. Like, it really... And it it deserves it because it's, like, one of the best black and white films ever made. So Mm. if if people want something else that's dark and gloomy but very captivating, I, I think that's a great film. Yeah, this is one that I remember when it was released. It was before a lot of the the big check deals had been made and before a lot of people had at least in many of the criterion circles had really been doing a whole lot of exploration of check film and i remember people being just blown away by this film and being surprised by it and this is uh, such a great recommendation for people to check out this is one that i have sitting on my my shelf and have not yet plugged in the player but this is uh this this is maybe the the impetus to to finally put it in and throw it up on my projector and just kind of bask in the gorgeous black and white. Yeah, it's it's great for that. I have it on Blu-ray, but uh, just watch it any way you can. That's that's one to see. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's great. Uh, and I like your your comparison to uh, uh, Rublev. I think that the medieval aspect of it uh, is neat. They were made almost at the same time, and it's just like that. That's partly the. I don't know, like the, the compositions feel like, oh yeah, if this was a film shot in the medieval period, this is how they would photograph everyone. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, you know, it, it just feels out of the realm of the typical cinema. And it's not, like, Marketa Lazarova, like, it's not really considered part of the new wave, even though it came out during that time period. It's sort of this other other thing. But, like, I, I think it's one of the, the must-sees of Czech cinema. And I, I think, like, whenever they do critics' polls or whatever, it's... Maybe the past couple times it's like come up as the number one Czech film or 
you know, that, that mm. type of thing. So I think it's like just one of those. You got to see it. That's great. That's great. Well, uh, my final film to talk about is Something Different by Vera Kitolova. This film is another one that honestly came out of nowhere for me and uh, just blew me away the first time I saw it. This is the story of two women in Czechoslovakia in the early 60s. One is Eva, a gymnast. You get some really amazing gymnastic work in it. Yeah. yeah. And, well, and, and she actually is a gold medal. Yeah, she was a real gymnast. <laughs> I mean, you can tell you can't you can't fake that. No, I I had paused the film briefly last night as I was rewatching it, and my wife walked by. My wife has uh, ballet training, and she walks by and she's like, oh, "Is this about ballet or gymnastics?" And you know the the performer is a gymnast who has a background in ballet so i mean you know you you can't hide those things right and and she is really incredible uh so in in her storyline she is recovering from an injury and is training for another exhibition and we go through her routines we go through the the rehearsals and yet there's also this this fear and this trepidation because i while Kitalova doesn't really spend a whole lot of time exploring the motivations in uh, or laying them out in any kind of a uh, facile or in any kind of a, a diminutive way. You get the sense that uh, Eva is, is a little gun shy after an injury and a little uncertain of this, of being able to do this again. And you you see the just the constant repetition. You see the the drudgery of the repetition. But this is all then contrasted with a bored and unappreciated and very frustrated housewife named yes. Vera who is going through her own drudgery and routines and repetitions and I absolutely love the you know we we have just we cut from a scene of uh, Eva doing her routine to music and then we cut to a scene of Vera doing her daily routine to music as well and I mean there are just so many great sequences it's so well edited and so well constructed uh, and the parallels between these two women's lives are so just beautifully constructed this film is just an absolutely mesmerizing work that I think it's this it's this great work of feminist filmmaking it is this great work of just exploring the the roles of women in Czech society at the time and yeah it's just it's it's outstanding and I think that uh, it's a it's an absolute must see I'm really glad you picked this one Daisies is is probably my favorite film ever made by uh, mm. Vera Kitelova but mm-hmm. it's like that that's kind of the one that only ever gets talked about and she had a yeah. very long diverse career and this is an early film of hers and it's uh, it's a feature film but it's it's a short feature i think it's only like an hour 15 minutes or 20 minutes or something like that yeah. and, and it kind of feels like not exactly like two shorts intercut but because it's sort of compartmentalized scenes it's uh, it moves along very quickly and it goes down very easily and of course like for the paradise and later later career stuff like traps like she had a lot of 
range in what she could do as a filmmaker. So it's it's really interesting to look at something that's in some ways not as experimental as Daisy's, but you know shows her ability to create a, a variety of different styles. And I, I'm not sure how best to describe it. It's something different. It's if, you're, yeah, if you've yeah. seen Daisy's and want to see something else, but the same filmmaker, here's something different. Yeah, and it was her first film, and uh, to me, it just it's it's so confident. It's so you know, so many fi- filmmakers, their first film is very, you can see them kind of fumbling around and trying to figure out what they're doing. And this film just feels so fully formed. It's, it feels like it is, you know, even though she's going to go on and her style is going to continue to morph and change and grow, this just feels like such a bold artistic statement from the outset. It's pretty incredible. I fully love this film and uh, am really eager to continue to work my way through her other work. I think I've seen a, a handful of her films, and this is uh, this is a filmmaker that I'm very eager to continue to to work through. That's great. That's four films to catch on the Criterion Channel that you may have missed: *Capricious Summer* by Hiri Mincel, *The Ear* by Karel Kachina, *Marketa Lazarova* by Frantisek Vakil. And something different by Vera Kitalova. Martin, thank you for bearing with me and for uh, helping me uh, attempt to not completely butcher the pronunciation. <laughs> thank you for having me on. Uh, this is a lot of fun today. Thank yeah. you so much. This, this is, is great. This is thank great. you again for having me. Yeah. Uh, where can people find you online? Uh, best place to find me online is probably on Twitter. I'm at Movie Kessler. And that's where I update about my regular projects. And I'm usually tweeting little gifts of movies or hot takes about very old movies and that sort of thing. And uh, I'm also over at FlixWise.com where you can listen to the FlixWise podcast and FlixWise Canada where you can hear me for days and days talk about movies. Awesome. That's awesome. Great. You can find Criterion Channel Surfing at CriterionCast.com and our website CinemaCocktail.com and you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also find the show on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook by searching for Criterion Channel Surfing. If you'd like to continue the conversation, join us in the Criterion Channel Club Facebook group or send us a message at criterionchannelsurfing at gmail.com. You can find me on Twitter, Instagram, and Letterboxd at Josh Hornbeck. Our logo was designed by Doug McCambridge of the Good Times Great Movies podcast. You can see more of his design work at dpmdesigns.com. Criterion Channel Surfing is a proud member of Criterion Cast, a podcast network and website for fans of quality theatrical and home video releases. Find out more at criterioncast.com and support the work of Criterion Cast at patreon.com slash criterioncast. Criterion Channel Surfing is listener-supported, so please consider donating to the show at patreon.com slash joshhornbeck. For just $5 a month, you get early access to all regular and bonus episodes of the show. And for $10 a month, you'll have the chance to give my guest and I a film to discuss in a special Patreon-only bonus episode. I'd like to continue to thank all of our Patreon supporters. I really do appreciate your ongoing support. It really helps maintain the show and keep us running. So thank you so much. On the next episode of Criterion Channel Surfing, Martin and I will return for a follow-up to today's episode in which we'll discuss films from Eastern Europe on other streaming services. 
I hope you'll join us. Thanks for listening. Criterion Cast, a podcast network and website for fans of quality theatrical and home video releases. Find out more at CriterionCast.com.